And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show here on WNZK AM 690 Radio, broadcasting in Detroit, Michigan, uh, live on radio and also on the U.S. Arab Radio Facebook page. Um, little uh, change in schedule, which is not unusual for radio. We're going to move our guest up, Hader Suskind, who is the new president, I believe, of the Americans for Peace Now. Um, Hader comes to uh, APN uh, with a very diverse career in Washington, D.C., always advocating for peace, fighting for democracy, and championing social justice. Um, he was a senior VP of government relations at the Council on Foundations, uh, the director of the board uh, of director of Ben the Ark Jewish Action. Um, and uh, he was VP of policy and strategy at J Street. So many different things, but all committed to peace. Hater, welcome to the radio show. It's so nice of you to join us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Ray. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. It's and, you know, before we start, I, I mentioned in my email, I said, you know, years ago, I knew this uh, David Suskind, who was uh, a columnist. We didn't always see eye to eye. You know, we'd be fighting all the time in public <laughs> in our different columns. But when we weren't fighting, he'd always go, you know, I really wish we would say if, talk and say a few words ago, I really wish we can overcome this fight because Arabs and Jews are the smartest people in the world. And I, I know he may be a distant relative of yours, but the Suskind name means a lot to uh, me for all the years that I've been working together. Well, I will, I will take it and hopefully we can build on that. So thank you. We will. Now, give us a, tell us about Americans for Peace Now, you know, in your words. I mean, what's the purpose of Americans for Peace Now? What does it do? Give us a little sense and what the website, web page is. So if listeners uh, who may not be familiar want to check it out, uh, can. Sure. So I'll start with that. That's the easy one. It's peacenow.org. So you can go, you can check it out. You can see what we stand for, what we do, how we go about it there. Um, we are celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. And Americans for Peace Now is the sister organization of Israel's uh, peace movement, Shalom Achshav, or Peace Now, uh, which was founded um, in 1978, 79 by um, when hundreds of Israeli uh, military reserve officers came together and they wrote a letter that they published publicly and, and sent to the government that says, we need to do things differently. We need to change our politics. We are tired of li you know, living in a country where the politics is constant strife, where we're all waiting for the next conflict, waiting for the next war. And you know, there's lots of external factors to that too, of course, but there are internal factors and the Israel politic needed to be changed. And that really was the launch of the peace movement in Israel. And in 1981, um, a, an American arm of that was founded, it was originally American Friends of Peace Now and very quickly became Americans for Peace Now. And we have devoted 40 years to working um, you know, with the American Jewish community as our primary constituency, but in close friendship and partnership with Arab and Muslim groups, uh, with Christian groups, with, with all sorts of others who want to be part of building the movement for peace and want to help grow and sustain that. And, you know, over those years, and again, like you mentioned, I've been at, at APN um, almost a year now, but it's still, still relatively new, but I've been working on this topic uh, with a variety of different hats on. And, you know, there've been moments over those times where I think a lot of us felt like we could see peace out there, right? Obviously the yeah. Oslo period, um, even maybe, you know, like you, you mentioned, I was at, at J Street, there was, you know, the hope that there was that window when President Obama was first elected. Other times where we felt like we could see it, we could almost grasp it if we can just get there. 
I don't think a lot of people feel that way right now, to be honest. No, they don't. No, they no. don't. I mean, I don't, you know. Yeah, and, I agree with you. And when I, you know, when I took this job, I really thought long and hard about what, what are we doing? What's the purpose for this organization right now? What's the need? It isn't to push us over the finish line, right? The need right now is build that movement for peace and engage as many people as we can here in the United States, in the region, in Israel and Palestine and other places so that we are ready. And we know that political change does come. Thankfully, we saw some political change here in the US recently. Uh, we've got Israeli elections upcoming. We've got Palestinian elections upcoming. Who knows what will happen in those? Um, but we need to be ready and we need to have a population that is engaged, that is educated, and that still wants peace. Because I can tell you one of the challenges on the Israeli side, and I hear many of my Palestinian colleagues echo this, is that we've got a whole generation that's grown up since the Oslo Accords yes. and doesn't doesn't know that moment of feeling like we're almost there. We have a whole generation during the Oslo Accords who have doubled in age like me. So, I mean, I'm just older. It's very frustrating. You kind of, you come at this at a really unusual time where I think it's tougher to, uh, not that uh, the energy isn't there to want peace, but it's, we're up against so much. It was, it seems so much easier back in the eighties, at least in the seventies, when things were rough, we were talking about peace. Then we got to the eighties and nineties and it was, wow. Because I do remember going there after the 1993 handshake. I got to meet Rabin, Shimon Perez, mm -hmm. uh, President Clinton. And then we went to Israel in 2000. And there was a moment where everything just seemed like, wow, this is going to work. And then yeah. extremists on both sides figured out and they know exactly where to put the key to punch things out. Um, it just collapsed. How did is? I think it's tougher now for the fight for peace. Do you, do you feel that way? I mean, is the fight tougher? I'm not saying is it, you know, uh, is it insurmountable, but it seems like we got to work 10 times harder now than we did before. Well, I definitely don't think it's insurmountable or I wouldn't be doing this, um, but it is tough because like you said, when you, when you can feel it, when you feel like, oh yeah, it's right there, then you get a lot of people excited You get, you know, everybody, it, it's the topic on everyone's tongue, right? Okay, peace, this is what we have to do, this step, this step, this step. When it feels far away, some of those people drop off just out of exhaustion, right? We've all been there, like, I just, I can't do this anymore. Other people, you know, harden their positions in whatever whatever they may be, right? I mean, we've seen, again, the, the Israel side, you know, a generation that's grown up, many of them, not all, but many of them with more right-wing views that they yeah. look at things like the occupation and they say, well, this is all right for me. Right. It, it, it's not that bad. Well, it's, um, part of, it's part of the frustration, isn't it? When, when we get close to peace and then we don't get it, people who are in the middle tend to kind of gravitate to their side. The Palestinians gravitate toward the extremists, not becoming extremists, but they kind of lean there Israelis lean toward the extremists also. And the middle seems to kind of vacate a little bit. It can be lonely in the middle sometimes, isn't it? I mean, is it lonely or is there a strong movement still? And what do we need to revive it? Is it revived or does it need some punch to get it going again? You know, the good news is I think, certainly if we talk about here in the United States, I'll start with that, then we can talk about there. You know, there's a strong movement and that movement is, I, actually, I think, growing 
Um, there's been tremendous change in the politics around this issue in the American Jewish community over the last decade or so. Um, you know, I worked uh, at J Street a dozen or so years ago when that was just starting up. And I give my colleagues there tremendous credit. And, and uh, I donate to J Street too, Palestinian donating, supporting it to all organizations like that. Yeah, Go ahead. Well, sorry. Thank you for that. You know, I give them a lot of credit because they came in and, and did a different sort of work than, than we do. They do the electoral work and really open political space for elected officials to express different views on this when in the past, you know, they used to basically be cornered into that far right corner, right? Of like, if you want to say anything about Israel or Palestine, first of all, you don't say Palestine, right? right. You know, maybe you say Palestinian. We um, used to refer to Israel as the entity. Yeah. So you know, it was the same way on both sides. I right. think we're mirrors of each other sometimes. I, I think so. And so, you know, we've seen a great change um, in the American Jewish community. I'll speak for Americans for Peace now. Again, we've got an incredible core of activists who've been at this work for 40 years. Also, you know, part of what I've been doing since I've come to the organization is trying to give it a little, you know, a, a little new bump. Um, and we're bringing in a whole new generation, whole new generations. And, you know, particularly among younger American Jews, um, it's, it's almost mirrored with the Israeli experience where you've got, you do have a right-wing shift there. You have a very clear progressive shift here and including on issues around Israel and Palestine and issues around the occupation. You know, the majority of younger American Jews don't accept the premise that so many people in our community grew up with of you're supposed to just be on, you know, quote, Israel's side, right? That this is some kind of zero-sum game and, you know, we're on this side, they're on that side. People don't want to live in that reality. And so we see more and more people who say, no, we need to, as Americans, we need to express our views. And, you know, most American Jews will say they support Israel. I certainly do. But the question is, what does that mean to say you right. support Israel? Supporting Israel and supporting Netanyahu's far right wing policies is not the same thing. Right. Supporting Israel and supporting the occupation is not the same thing. I, I try to explain to a lot of Palestinians that... Uh, you know, yeah, you can be upset about something you see if there's some violence or someone gets hurt or the settlements, but that's government. What we need to, if you accept the peace process, that means that we recognize each other so we can elevate ourselves instead of saying, I don't like Israelis. I can say the way I do here in America. I'm an American. I criticize our government all the time, harshly, mildly, supported, enthusiastically, uh, maybe without any interest at all or, you know, whatever, but we need to elevate our feelings to focusing on government and it's okay to criticize government. It's okay to try to hold government accountable and it's especially okay to try to change government, but you don't change government by attacking a whole people. Yeah. Do you think this idea of the two state solution, which I've always believed was the answer, is it still the answer? Is one, is it still possible I think it is because things that government do uh, to change things can always be undone or redone or changed. But how does a APN look at uh, the two-state solution? I'll answer you on two-state solution. I want to say one thing about what you just said. First, though, you know, part of the challenge that we've seen a generation grow up in Israel, primarily with Bibi Netanyahu as prime minister, right? In their, in their memory, he's the prime minister. Um, and We've seen that reflection here, too, in terms of how the American Jewish community uh, engages. 
And he's done something on purpose that no previous Israeli prime minister has done, which is call himself the prime minister of the Jewish people, right? right? And talk about, you know, how he represents the Jewish people globally. And so this whole discussion that's going on out there now about, you know, is criticizing Israel or Zionism, is that anti-Semitic, right? right? Is, I believe, a very dangerous line. Um, I think, you know, it, not I think, I mean, it's a fact. I've been places where he, he says that, he says, you know, calls it the new anti-Semitism because he has put himself and his views at the center of what it means to be not only Israel, but to be Jewish. And so people are then accused of being anti-Israel if they criticize government policy, which um, again- I've, we'll been on the I've been on the receiving end many times. And so I think I'm the most moderate- of yeah. Palestinians. I, I'm part of a group that uh, we really want peace. We were happy with peace. We wanted to see it, but we both seem to have extremist groups that understand yeah. how to block everything. And I wonder, do we know how to deal with those extremists the right way to be more effective? So I'll tell you, I've been on, I've been on the end of that too. And, you know, I'm an Israeli yeah. citizen. So um, anyway, right. how can a Jewish person be anti-Semitic? I, I don't get no. that, but 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 it's a powerful uh, weapon because there are people outside of our circle of Palestinians and Israelis or Arabs and Jews um, who see the word and and are much more uh, attentive to the word anti-Semitic or anti-Semitism than they are, for example, Islam Islamophobia Absolutely. or you know being anti anti-Palestinian doesn't sound as bad as saying anti-Semitic. Certainly not if you're running for Congress, it doesn't. No, right? you, I, you probably I mean, couldn't run for Congress in the U.S. if someone were to uh, initiate even a mild campaign to accuse you of anti-Semitism. That would be really tough. So it is a powerful weapon to stifle yeah. the peace movement. How do yeah. we deal with that? Well, I mean, we're trying to deal with that along with many of our partners and colleagues. Right now, there is um, a push out there that is being supported by the Netanyahu government, and also by um, a lot of conservative voices in the American Jewish community. And actually, it's a global issue, right, around what's called the, the IRA definition, the International Holocaust, uh, now I'm blanking on what the, what the R is, uh, from the, the institution that's put together this definition that was intended to be a guide for helping universities, other institutions understand what is anti-Semitism. But it comes with a series of examples that include and are very much focused on criticism of Israel. And so there's been pushes at all levels of government around this. We've seen universities, we've, we've seen European soccer teams take this on, companies. Um, and, you know, thankfully, there are a lot of folks who have spoken up, including APN, I would say, you know, at the forefront of this, to say, wait, that's, that's not okay. And it's not okay because we really care about fighting anti-Semitism. And unfortunately, you know, in the rest of the world too, but right now in the United States over these last four years, dealing with anti-Semitism has been something at the forefront in a way that it hasn't been in my lifetime, right? We've seen the tree of life shooting in Pittsburgh. We've seen other shootings. We've seen other violent attacks. We're not talking about, you know, the problem that needs to be addressed right. is not college students feeling uncomfortable. Right. There's a, there is a real threat of anti-Semitism out right. there. And, and, and it's a serious threat, too. And I, yeah. and I understand your point. We have to identify the real threats of anti-Semitism and hate. 
um, and separate that from angry politics, because I know in my own community, uh, some of the people that I know, very smart, moderate people, they get angry. And sure. I remember even when I was younger, my dad would say, oh, they're going to drive the Jews into the sea. And I go, dad, are they really going to drive the Jews? He goes, no, but, you know, and then he'd calm down and he'd say, no, but we got to push back and pressure. I think there are a lot of good people in the middle that get caught up when they have no uh, stronger alternative. They get caught up by the rhetoric and the emotions that are on the two extremes around them. And when my dad would say, we're going to drive the Jews to the sea, I'd say, dad, you're going to drive the Jews to the sea. You won't even drive me to school. How are we going to drive the Jews to the sea? There you go. I always thought oh. comedy was going to work one day, but you never know. Yeah. Well, and you know, that issue of what's the alternative is actually a, a part of this problem that we've seen, you know, I, I, I certainly, and I, the vast majority of people think, thankfully are against violent conflict. So, you know, violent conflict is not an acceptable answer. Absolutely. So then you say, okay, right. well, you know, what about, you know, political pressure, right? So, you know, can, you know, Palestinians go to the UN? Can we engage world entities? Well, We've seen, again, I don't want to say Israel because it's not right. what Israel thinks. It's what the Netanyahu government, we've seen the Netanyahu government and its supporters, you know, call that political terrorism, right? Palestinian, right. you know, are not allowed to go to the UN, are not allowed to engage the ICC. And then, okay, well, how about if we use, you know, economic leverage as, as by the way, the Jewish community has done over and over again in opposing apartheid South Africa, in dealing with Sudan, uh, so many other places, you know, well, that, of course, is called economic terrorism. And, you know, BDS is labeled as the number one threat, which is ridiculously overblown. And what you're seeing here with this issue is literally efforts to criminalize language, right? To say, if you are critical of Zionism, if you are critical of Israel, you know, there, they are, there are bills being pushed through state legislature right. and considered in Congress and things like that that would literally criminalize that. So to, to your point, you know, they're trying to shut down all of the what should be acceptable means of right. of speaking out. And, you know, I understand the inclination to not want to have to hear things that are uncomfortable. But there's a difference between things that are uncomfortable, things that I might even disagree with. Right. If somebody tells me that they believe Zionism is wrong and Israel shouldn't exist. Right. I disagree. Yeah, and I, I don't, and, and I yeah. agree with you. I I think that there's a line, um, that that, sh I mean, there is a line that can't be crossed, even in political discussion. Sure. Somebody saying you don't have a right or you don't have a right to exist. Listen, I argue with my my community all the time. Israel exists. It's been seventy some years. Why don't we find a way to go back to where we should have been? I mean, we made mistakes. Don't erase that and pretend like we didn't do things. Why don't we create our state back in 1948 and build on it? Look at the Israelis. They started with what they got. They built on it. They continued to do it. Um, it this hatred that is, I think a lot of it is fueled by the frustrations and the anger of not seeing something happen in your direction. Sure. How to, and I, we're coming up on a break that we got to do here real quick, but maybe afterwards, let's talk about uh, how we can... Uh, revive this i mean i mean are yeah. we at a stage where we're really doing something i know that i thought j street was really going to be doing some powerful things and um i still want to see j street and apn and equivalents in the arab community do the same thing and maybe see all of them come together one day 
you know, and have, we've, we've seen it in Israel where both sides come together, have big rallies. I'd love to see the same thing uh, there. Let, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Hader Suskind is my guest. He's the new president of Americans for Peace Now. And uh, we're talking about uh, the Middle East peace, uh, Palestinian and Israeli relations. I'm Ray Hanania. This is the Ray Hanania Show at WNZK AM 690, broadcasting live in Detroit and on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with our guest, David Suskind, right after these messages. Water covers 71% of the world and the Arab news newspaper covers the rest with breaking news from across the Arab and Muslim world and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the headlines with expert analysis and insight at arabnews.com. Join 5 million Facebook fans who stay in touch with the Arab news, the Arab world's leading English language newspaper online at arabnews.com. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show, uh, Friday, March 12th at WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit, broadcasting live on radio. Uh, this show will be rebroadcast at 5 p.m. on WNZK AM 690, and you can watch it uh, now on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. Um, that would be facebook.com slash U.S. Arab Radio, and it'll be playing there uh, forever, for eternity, as we say. Um, or until Facebook decides they want to censor me or tell me that I might have crossed the line that they don't like because they have that power. Our guest on the line is uh, Hader uh, Suskind. He's the president of Americans for Peace now. And uh, we're just kind of talking about different issues. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about um, the issue of the two-state solution. If you want to return to that, uh, Hader, uh, what, what's the status of that? Is it dead? Is it possible? Um, to revive it? Where are we with that? Can we save it? I think we can, right? I think, you know, we have, uh, and the we being, you know, the Israeli politic, Palestinian politic, frankly, U.S., which has, you know, continued, with the exception of the aberration of the last four years, has continued to have that be standard policy. But I don't know that, it, that the U.S. has done much to move us toward that. But it's, it's still there. And you know, in my view, it's still the best and most viable option. Now, does that make it the only option? No, it doesn't. And I think what's important to me, right, is that Israelis and Palestinians have, you know, a just peace and have a better future. I think that the best way, and again, the most likely way to achieve that is through what we sort of traditionally talk about as two states. Um, we had uh, a webinar that we hosted uh, recently with uh, uh, Bernie Abishai and Sam Bahul talking about the confederation model. Now, confederation model, in, in my view, really is a version of two states also, right? Because right. you, need, you need, frankly, two, uh, two entities to decide to do that. It's so, like a coordinated two states where you have two entities that are just basically working together. Right, exactly. And Both that, good guys, too, Abishai and uh, Sam Bahul. Yeah, absolutely good guys. And, you know, they and a lot of others have done a lot of thinking and writing on this. You know, there are variants, there are models, there are different ideas that could work. Um, I know that there are people out there who, you know, have decided that they believe two states is no longer viable because we haven't gotten to it yet. I certainly understand that frustration. Some of those folks have then said, well, you know, the answer should simply be one state, the whole territory, you know, one person, one vote. Um, 
again, if the people there decided that that's what they wanted, that's one thing. Personally, when, you know, when the question comes up, well, is, is it still achievable? Is it still likely? I don't, I don't see how that's more likely or more achievable than what we traditionally talk about as two states. Um, but I think for me, and this is one of the things that we do at APN, I don't want to spend my, all of my time arguing with folks in the peace camp about what an eventual possible solution looks like. Right. I want us to build that peace movement. And I want us to get to that moment where there's Israeli political leaders and Palestinian political leaders who are sitting together at the table to discuss what that moment looks like. So knowing that yeah. you have a stronger peace movement, you can achieve peace much more, uh, much easier than where we're at today. So we right. got to build that peace movement in order to get to the point to say, what kind of peace do we want to have? Yeah. And I still think that that best answer is, is the two states, right? Two independent viable states, you know, living side by side. But if we get there and somebody tells me that, you know, those two states actually want to confederate and be together or there's some other version or some other way be up to them. Right. Yeah. The people. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and I know that uh, now we've heard, I, I mean, being in politics for 45 years, I know they'd say, Oh, this guy was good. That guy was bad. When I look at it from as a Palestinian, I'm looking at government saying, you know, Obama was a good person. I knew him. He was just a nice person, but his policy and they sounded good. It was a lot of happy talk, but he didn't achieve what he kept promising, or maybe we expected too much. Clinton, uh, you know, uh, George uh, W or George Bush. Um, and then we had uh, Donald Trump. They say well, Trump is the worst that we've ever had. And I'd say, OK, it was worse because he actually uh, or he actually did what he was thinking, as opposed to telling me he wasn't going to do it and then quietly doing it behind my back. I get the sense sometimes that governments that's the difference in politics that Biden, for example, good guy, um, he's restored happiness and let's get together, free love, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I'm just not sure that he's going to do anything different than what Trump, the end result. Do you, how do you view the Biden administration in terms of peace? You know, so, and, and again, dis, despite my own, you know, uh, uh, fatalism or, you know, my concerns, but how, how do you view them? Well, I'll start with, I think the Biden administration, starting with, you know, the man at the top, Biden and, and that other guy, but also all the people involved is going, is already and will be vastly different than the previous administration. Now that doesn't so, mean- Go ahead. I was yeah. going to say in substance or tone? Both. Oh, well, okay. look, tone is not a question, right? I mean, okay. tone, of yes. course. But in substance, too. Now, vastly different from that previous administration is such a low bar, right? right? But I, that doesn't mean that I think, you know, President Biden is going to be the one hosting Israeli and Palestinian leaders sign, signing the ultimate peace deal. Um, you know, while I would obviously, you know, wel welcome that moment, I wouldn't bet the mortgage on it. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that they're all the same, you know, politicians or parties. I mean, I think there's been... An, the, there's been a first level of success already substantively with this administration, which is them coming in and bringing us more or less, it's not done yet, but back to where we were before the last four years, which is, again, not sufficient, but necessary, right? And relatively so, better, right. relatively speaking, right. Right. It's not sufficient at all, but it did need to be done to say, wait a minute, 
all of those things, and they haven't done them all yet, actually, there's still some questions, but all of those things that the previous administration did, you know, forget those. So there's an issue, for example, you know, in the waning days of, of the Trump administration, um, you know, then Secretary Pompeo announced that goods produced in the occupied territories could be labeled as made in Israel. Right. Right. You know, our, our answer to that for, for APN was that, you know, if Palestinian children born in the West Bank don't get the benefits of being considered made in Israel, right. then, you know, Israeli products made in settlements certainly shouldn't. Um, and so we opposed that from the get go. Uh, we, along with many of our colleagues, have asked, uh, it's actually Secretary Morgas at the Department of Homeland Security who oversees that policy to, to be clear that they're reversing that policy, right? There are, you know, many other things. Some of the more, you know, more critical ones are reopening the consulate in East Jerusalem, reopening a Palestinian representation office, won't be an embassy yet, but here in Washington. So there's a lot of things that that need to be done to get us back to where we were. And you think that subtly these things are moving in that direction, some of that stuff? Yes, I do. Some of them are, some things are happening already, um, right? I mean, there was no, literally zero high level interaction between US officials and Palestinian officials during the last four years, during the previous administration. And that's already happening. Um, you know, I am a believer that uh, personnel is policy and we're seeing um, some really great, I would say really great people put into this administration um, who will be dealing with this issue, um, including some, some Arab and Muslim Americans put in, in positions of dealing with Israel and Palestine. Um, which is something that we've almost never seen before, frankly, in U.S. government. Um, you know, nobody bats an eye when you have Jewish Americans who've very often been in these in these positions. Some of whom are people who I think are really great on this issue. Right. Some of whom aren't. Um, but it was, you know, we've seen it's been an issue politically. The Biden administration was attacked for some of the people they've nominated and and put into positions on this. So, you know, I'm not pie in the sky here, um, but I think substantively speaking. They are getting us back on the right track and moving in a positive direction, which is so much better than we were these last four years and still insufficient. So we it's need... okay to say, give them time. They're not going to rush through and, and head, you know, uh, break the door down to return everything or get back well, to where we They're could... not going to. And I don't think we should say, give them time. I think we should push them. Okay. I think our job is not to say, oh, don't worry, you guys are better. Our job is to say, you need to re really do this. We need to bring, you know, bring the heat and we need to make them, you know, we need to make them push on this because they've, we've heard from lots of people in the administration that moving on this issue is not what they want to do right now. It's not right. their top priority, which, you know, you can look around at our country and our world and say, okay, you know, their top priority is dealing with COVID. Like that's, that's pretty understandable. Um, but it's our job to make sure that they don't think it's okay to just sit there and let this be. Or, and it's also our job not to say when they say, hey, it's not our top priority, it doesn't mean they're not going to do anything. They're just saying that they're shifting things around to, but there is a commitment. You feel there is a commitment, uh, a real commitment on the Biden administration to actually eventually achieve, if possible, a two-state solution. I think that the people from Biden to Blinken and on down both really support that, which again was not the case in the past administration, and really care about it. You know, they've said publicly they're not, you know, reconvening the quartet next week. They're not, you know, introducing a UN resolution. This isn't something that they are 
saying we're going to get done right now. I think they feel that one of the mistakes of the Obama administration was coming out of the gates saying, here's a big push, here's George Mitchell, we're going to make peace. And that they don't want to do that, that they want a slower approach to try to make things better and get us closer. Um, they have not said this publicly, but my guess is they're also waiting for the elections in the region to see what happens and what might be what might be possible. I want to talk about those elections, but of course, we got to do another break, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, this will be our last break here at the Ray Hanania Show, March 12, 2021, on WNZK AM 690 Radio. My guest, Hader Suskind. Um, Hader, as it turns out, uh, you know, I, Ariel Gold is a good person from uh, Code Pink, and I was going to try to have both of you on one at a time, but uh, I'm glad we have more time to talk about these issues. I'll, I'll bring Ariel back. Uh, another time. Um, but uh, David uh, Heider Suskind is the president of APN, Americans for Peace Now. We're talking about Middle East peace. Uh, maybe after the election, we can talk about the elections, how they tend to be moving, and what impact they could have on our goal of uh, peace and achieving two states for Israelis and Palestinians. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our guest, Heider Suskind from Americans for Peace Now, right after these messages. Thanks. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show. I am Ray Hanania here at WNZK AM 690. Remember, this show will be rebroadcast tonight at 5 p.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit. And it is being uh, broadcast live on uh, the U.S. Arab Radio on Facebook. Uh, so you can watch the video of this uh, interview with our guest, Hader Suskind, uh, who uh, is the president of Americans for Peace Now. You know, Hader, there was, I know what real peace is like because, you know, my wife is Jewish, my son is Jewish. At his bar mitzvah, we had Palestinians and Jews, Israelis and Arabs, uh, 300 of them all together. And uh, we had, uh, we did the Hora, we did the Debka. Um, they were singing in Arabic, they were singing in Hebrew, and we had a whole spread. Uh, and the worst moment was, of course, when the Israelis and the Arabs started arguing over who invented the hummus. So I don't know. <laughs> so that was, uh, but it just- As long as it wasn't dessert hummus, we're all okay. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, the stuffed grape leaves, the hummus, the lamb. I'm telling you, we both like the same things. We are so close and I wonder if that makes us why it's so tense between us sometimes, uh, between the hotheads in our community. So tell, tell us about the Israeli elections. What do you think we can expect from the elections in Israel? I guess they're coming up in a, a week, right? Or the 23rd. So 23rd, yeah. A week and a half. A week and a half. And then the Palestinian elections are right after that? or Well, the Palestinians are having a series of elections because it's the different the different national markets, and they're they're coming up in May, I believe. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So, what what can we expect first from the Israeli elections? What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to get a new prime minister, or is it going to be King Netanyahu, the Pharaoh? Well, this is you know to begin with, this is the fourth Israeli election in two years. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when I, I lived in Israel for much of the '90s, and people would sort of look look at Italy and snicker because they had, you know, elections every other week. It felt like, you know, the government was just so unstable, the similar parliamentary system. So it, I mean, Israel's never done this before, had elections in quick succession, such quick succession. Um, and, you know, no one's made money betting against Netanyahu over these right. past years. He's a right? survivor, he, has, isn't he? 
He is, and he has managed to win, and he's managed to do so even when under investigation, now under indictment. Um, now his trial has you know, started for, for corruption and bribery. Um, you know, nobody knows. There's, you know, there's a lot of polling out there. And the polling, I will say, shows that it is pretty, it is feasible that he's not going to win. So it's very close, in other words, but not yeah. decisive. Very close. You know, unlike here, it's not, it would be much simpler if it was a two-party system, right? It's a parliamentary system. You've got right. a dozen or so relevant parties playing. So even uh, when the election's over, then you got to take the chess pieces and figure correct. out, do you get 61 uh, votes? Right. You got to build that coalition. And, you know, in one of these previous three elections, Netanyahu's party, the Likud, did not get the most seats. So he didn't have the first chance to build the coalition. And yet still he emerged as prime minister because yeah, he yeah. managed the process such I'll tell you this. I think it is for the first time in a while, you know, there's a, a good chance that it won't be Netanyahu. Now, if it's not Netanyahu as prime minister, it's not going to be, you know, the Merits Party or even the Labor Party or anything, anything approaching the left. It's going to be Gidon Saar, who is a formerly could member who's left and started a new party, which is called the, the New Hope Party, which makes me think of Star Wars every time. Right. Um, but you know, or it's going to be Naftali Bennett, who again is, you know, it's going to be somebody else who's very right wing leading it. Depending how all of those coalition politics play out, you could get, though, a right led, right center government that might include uh, Yair Lapid and his party that would and not include the, the ultra orthodox parties, which would be, um, you know, Again, when you talk about center, left, right in Israel politics, it's a little different. It would be more centrist on a lot of things. Right. It would have more focus probably on internal Israeli politics, on religious issues, on things like that. Um, I don't think, frankly, it's likely to be radically different when it comes to Israel-Palestine issues. Um, I will say this, and again, you know, Americans for Peace now is a 501c3. We don't do electoral work in Israel, no, nor do our colleagues. But I think for those of us who are interested in, in seeing peace and in seeing uh, improvement on those issues in the region. You know, like I said, the Biden administration is doing things that are necessary, but not sufficient. I think having a different prime minister is necessary for progress. It's not sufficient. So if we should end up with Saar or Bennett or somebody else, it's a step in a long, you know, it, right. a long process in the right direction of, we know we're not getting there with Netanyahu. It's not, it's not the, it's not the end result, but it is a, adjustment to focus toward moving back to peace because i don't think that's where we're headed right now yeah i think we're headed in a kind of a bad direction and i'm hoping that the arabs in israel recognize that they're part of israel uh more and that more of them engage the process and vote we, we've seen some of that in the last few elections uh larger turnout uh more unif unification um, among Arab voters. And it, it's good in a sense that get involved, you know, work in the system, you know, participate and you can change things when you're part of the system. Is, do you think that's going to grow or was it an aberration in the last election? Right. Well, I mean, I certainly agree with you. I, you know, I hope everybody votes, right? And I think everybody should vote wherever they live. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting this time. So first of all, there was the, the joint list that brought together the different uh, Arab parties last time it has uh, one of those parties has withdrawn from that so there is fear that doing that is going to, to, to split, fracture yeah yeah to split the vote 
Uh, we'll see. I hope that the participation is high. There's also something I think is just a fascinating political phenomenon going on that Netanyahu has really for the first time ever actually reached out to Arab voters and is courting Arab voters yes. to support him and support Likud, which is certainly counterintuitive given that, you know, perhaps his most famous electoral ploy in the past was his version of, you know, saying the Arabs are coming, right? He's right. To use put out so ads. Remember that. Yeah, put out ads right before the election saying Arab voters are going to overwhelm us. But, you know, he's playing, the- but he's playing politics. He's playing the political game. And he knows that there's a segment of people not happy in the uh, Palestinian side or the Arab uh, citizen side um, with that leadership. So maybe he can appeal to them. Yeah. Um, I, I just, to me, it's uh, it would be so nice to see a shift. Uh, and we only had a couple minutes left, but tell me about the Palestinian elections. Will they have any real impact on what happens moving forward? I mean, in all honesty, uh, even whether they reelect people or, you know, whoever becomes a Palestinian president, is that going to be a significant uh, factor in bringing about change to impact Israel's politics? I mean, I have to start off by saying I'm not an expert on the Palestinian elections. You know, I think I, I can tell you that, you know, these elections, a lot, of, a lot of people who I've spoken to who are experts, and we hosted some folks at APN for, for webinars and other educational things, you know, have said these, these could be very important um, Palestinian politics for, for slightly different reasons, but similarly have had, you know, similar leadership in place for a long period of time. Um, there is, as always, the question of, you know, the sort of uh, political reconciliation between um, Fatah and Hamas, you know, between the West Bank and Gaza. There are very important questions to be answered there, but I think are essential for moving us forward and moving toward um, hopefully an eventual, uh, you know, peace deal. But I can't, I, you know. So I they can't need get a stronger voice, though, correct? The Palestinians, you think? I think everybody needs a, a stronger voice pushing toward peace. The Palestinians, the Israelis, the Americans. So I'm, I'm certainly comfortable say, saying that. Yes, um, everybody. You know, yeah. I think, again, you know, we're in a moment right now where hopefully we're seeing the changes among all three entities and, and you know, other places in the world, too, for that matter, toward a greater focus on this issue, toward building that peace movement, toward getting us back to where we need to be so that people are saying, yes, I see it. Yes, I feel it. It's right out there and we can grab it. And then then we'll be ready to make that final push. And, and I know we only have like a minute and a half left. So th- this question is deserves so much more time, but real quick in a sentence or two, the Abraham Accords, um, does it hurt or help or it really not have any impact on moving forward towards two states? So real quick, you know, short term, I don't think it helped, right? My, my reaction to the Abraham Accords overall was, I'm happy to see Israel and any of its neighboring countries improving their relations. That, that's good. That's positive. These were basically, you know, fancy trade agreements. They were not peace deals between countries that were at war. And in terms of the intentions by Netanyahu and, and the Trump administration, you know, these were done for their political purposes and to take eyes off of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Right. So that is not a positive, even if the overall, you know, long term, right. long term, it is my hope that as you know, there's more normalization and more engagement by those countries with Israel that they will use their voice and they will use their leverage that I actually think only builds, right? The thinking previously was their leverage was, you know, withholding normalization until there was progress on the Israeli-Palestinian right. front. 
hopefully as they deepen those relationships, that leverage actually builds and they'll be willing to use that toward those ends. All right. Hayter Susskind, my guest from Americans for Peace Now. He's the president there. Their website is peacenow.org. I'm Ray Hanania. Hayter, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody remember um, uh, March 31st, I'll be on on Wednesday mornings uh, live here. I'll get you more information on that. And remember, April is Arab American Heritage Month. So let's get involved and celebrate. I want to thank everybody at WNZK for producing this. I'm Ray Hanania. Visit me at hanania.com. We'll talk again. Hayter, again, you have a great week. We'll talk to you guys later.